Hello and welcome to Soundtrack Showdown, our monthly podcast where we take two soundtracks, compare them across five rounds and declare an overall winner. has been a month um <laughs> oh yes it has Tristan. oh yes it has so right off the start for one we're just going to get right into it we're going to be talking about the leftovers and wayward pines today and we are going to be from like minute one spoilers spoiler warning spoiler warning so we're talking about it all. We're talking about where they go. We're talking about these series, which are all about twists. There's going to be spoilers. Here is your spoiler warning. And now I'm just going to say, look, when we first spoke about talking about these shows, these are two shows that I really enjoyed. But I just want to make it clear that we first discussed these whilst sitting over like a cup of coffee up in Camden, back in like when that was a thing, when you used to like travel and meet people and have conversations mm-hmm. in person. I really didn't imagine that we were going to wind up uh, watching them and talking about them in this world, as it were. So, I mean, I watched these before and just had to remind myself, but do you want to start off with uh, what it's been like to watch these shows that I sort of... Um, naively inflicted on you shall we say (laughs) oh god i'm so glad that i can laugh right now because like for the last three weeks it's been really really difficult i'm not gonna lie Mm. um yeah i was (laughs) honestly i'm so sorry i know you are but i was just like i'm just trying to remember it without traumatizing getting into that state again um well i'll be honest like i'll foreclose that i think in my sort of situation, when we went into lockdown, the first sort of like two and a half weeks was absolutely fine. You know, I kind of threw myself into mm-hmm. work, you know, got like my routine going on. So to kind of cope with this new change of environment and schedule and everything to kind of get through it. And it was fine. But then mm-hmm. coming down to the third week, that's when it started to something shifted. Mentally, something shifted, and it really started to affect me in a in a way I did not expect. Um, and I couldn't explain it, and I couldn't figure out like why why am I feeling so down? Why am I feeling so drained? Why am I feeling like I can't do, I can't create, you know? Mm. And why do I feel really helpless? It's all these like really strange questions were and feelings were just kind of like immersed. And I just felt really quite lost, basically. That's the best way. And then, um, so then I actually had to take a week off from work um, to just ground myself, I guess, and to kind of find myself as well. Um, Because I completely (laughs) was just, I almost lost it, basically. Um, I think after having a thought about it it became and i'm sure for a lot of other people who are listening to this it it's a it was a who have experienced the same thing as i have experienced it's probably it was a delayed shock to the situation yeah it's a good way of putting it yeah well that's the only way i can pretty much put so (laughs) 
And so I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I've got this free time to kind of process things in the midst of my sort of emotional turmoil. Um, so I started watching the show, started with Leftovers. Oh, yeah, that's a good option. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Instantly, it just told me to watch it. Yep. And I swear, I never wanted to... Oh, I don't want to say it. Let's just say it was just bad timing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I watched it maybe two months ago or last year, I would have enjoyed it. I would have been quite removed from a lot, some of the mm. subjects and the yep. themes and kind of like the violence of things. But watching it during this time... I felt really emotional, like to the point where I was crying at things that I would never normally cry. Right. I, it really kind of triggered me a lot. It wasn't a pleasant experience, if to be truly honest. I got it. I, I can appreciate it. It's a great TV show. It really is. It's um, very heavy, mm-hmm. very well written, um, and, great sh- and very well shot. And but... <laughs> I love how abstract your commentary about it is. What do you mean? Well, like you're sort of like you're stepping back. Like the moment you start to think like, oh, yeah, it's really well shot. It's like, yeah, this is you engaging with the material without actually having to engage with the material. (laughs) It was just, um, it felt too close to heart. Oh, 100%. So having watched that on top of everything else that was going on in my head, my own sort of questions that were triggering me that were not very helpful, and then Mm. having to watch this, it felt really hopeless <clears throat> that's not coronavirus by the way <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to disclose that <laughs> neither of us are sick do not worry no, neither about us. touch wood touch yes. wood um but um so in comparison to wayward pines again the music was i enjoyed the music i felt like it's quite in tune with what the side, side type of music that i like to listen to and the production is amazing um, but then well, when I watched, presumably you are a fan of some of the bands he's worked. Oh with. yeah, well, Nine Inch Nails for sure, and he yeah. came from Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. Um, I know a couple of Rob, Zob- Rob Zombie music. Um, yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a fan, but I am aware of him. Mm-hmm. And Marilyn Manson. Of course, Marilyn Manson. Of course, yeah. but again, it's like I know I've listened to I, ha- I haven't listened to him since his the mob scene al- album to be honest actually okay, that's um fun. which is a very long time ago and you're a fan of american horror story as well which he's done yeah because well. again this is this charlie clauser the- incidentally that we're talking about here so it was max richter for um the leftovers and now a charlie clauser for wayward pines yeah and so the textures like the sort of ambient atmospheric music that was very like murky and grainy and just like really like industrial i really enjoyed it just resonates with me I guess yeah. um, I just find it quite interesting how you can make something really quite ugly and turn mm-hmm. it into something quite not melodic but just interesting to listen for the listener yeah quite musical and, and at times beautiful yeah yeah and um so but the tv show i wasn't exactly a fan i was i mean i was at the beginning it reminded it made me it reminded me a lot of like twin peaks it yep. has sort of that weird sort of you're in a weird town and people around you are acting weird and you're just trying to figure out are you the same one or not yeah um 
but then as soon as it kind of like midway as soon as you introduce the aboriginals or what the abbeys abbeys yeah you lost me (laughs) seriously i was just kind of like what the is this Fair enough. <laughs> I was just like, seriously? Like, you really had me on. I was really engaged. I was really thinking, like, what is this? Is this some sort of, like, a weird sort of social experiment, you know, where this, like... Like, like the village. Almost like the village or, like, you know, like a Truman Show type thing. Yep, yep. Um, so I was kind of waiting for that. And then when you introduced the fact that... Uh, God. The Abbeys, for one, look like a ripoff of the Descent creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've you seen The Scent, the horror film. Yeah, and they also look quite a lot like the sort of Nosferatu vampire kind of a look as well. They're sort of like somewhere in that general vein, right? Exactly. And I'm just thinking, like, really, is this where you perceive, is this where you see humanity evolving into? Mm. I'm just thinking, well, why do we have to be hairless and white, you know? It yeah, just, okay. It, yeah, fair. It just, <laughs> I don't know, it just felt a little bit like... Uh, cartoonish yeah so that's so it's an interesting comparison right because i watched both of these when they came out and the leftovers i will say even outside of this it was a difficult watch like i really enjoyed the leftovers particularly the season one i felt from then on it really lost its way because of the whole um mystery box thing that they do the whole like we're never really going to explain the mystery we're just going to keep it there to keep you interested and that just feels exploitative to me after a while but for the first season, it's it's really intense and there's a lot of conflict there. And, I mean, the guilty remnant is genius. Like, they are just so abhorrent. They're just this, like, really trolling, unpleasant presence that it just really eats away at you in, a like, mm-hmm. a really deep and uncomfortable way. Mm. Um, everything about them, the sort of the cultish behaviour, the smoking, the refusing to talk, there's a certain smugness about them. Everything about them, um, it, it, you kind of mentioned a bit with the Abbey, like the whiteness of, like, of them. Like, it's just, ugh, it's so uncomfortable. And it, like, I liked it as a show, but, like, you never finish watching The Leftovers with a smile on your face. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's God, it's no. A... Tears down yeah. my face. Right. And, <laughs> and I wasn't that far off it then. Like, it's really, really tough to deal with. It's It gets into that, like, grief and anger headspace, and it just stays there for the entire series. Because there is no res- resolution. There's no sort no. of ha- there's no happy ending. No. And there's never any hope of one. There's never even a, it's, it never even entertains the possibility that there will be one, hmm, mm. um, which is brutal. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a world without hope, basically. So shall we talk about our rounds? Sure. Our rounds are going to be, and again, you know, we've got to you know bend and move things around. We're going to start off with the main title theme. Then in round two, we'll be talking about loss, quite a bit of that. Round three, mystery, awful lot of that. Round four, release. And finally, as per usual, legacy. And before we move on, we'd love it if you could subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. Maybe don't tell your friends to watch these shows at the moment. And listen to the music. The music on Spotify, which you can find, it's absolutely, it's, it's, Oh, yeah. uh, it's a pleasant experience, a much pleasant more. Yeah, it's a pleasant experience, actually. <laughs> it is. It, yeah, it, it really is. So so definitely listen to the music. But, like, maybe, yeah, like, if you want to recommend our show to friends, which please do, that's the absolute best thing you can do for us, maybe advise that they watch 
some of the films for some of our other episodes. That Anastasia and Fern, Fern Gully one, for instance, that would that'd be better films <laughs> to watch at the moment. It's a very light-hearted one. Yes. But, um, yeah, thank you for being there. Thank you for helping us out. Continue to support us. We really appreciate it. And let's get on with round one, the main title theme. So because it's the first one, let's start off with the leftovers. And we're simply listening to the main title theme, which notably you don't actually hear in episode one. So, what do you think? I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's po- poetically nihilistic. Um, the beginning sting is very ominous, and it like it commands your attention. Like as soon as you hear that, that doom, the timpani and brass mm. hit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of like, and then it just gently and moves on to this beautiful, angelic, and very emotive piece, you know, by the strings mm-hmm. and choirs. And it's very quite hypnotizing. And it has this sort of alluring sense where it's like trying to pull you in into the painting. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, and the structure of kind of like, I, it's something Max Rick. Richter, Richter. Richter yeah. because he comes from a minimalist contemporary background I noticed that he does this sort of like re- repetition and then kind of adding layers to repetition yeah um, either by adding a different octave as it progresses and it's a very he's it's his typical approach but it works mm-hmm. um, but yeah the intro is just very dark and it's very abrasive and you know for like I've read that it it really kind of almost not terrified people, I guess, because it was just so emotionally intense with the images of like people being pulled up, and it's yeah. just um, in this sort of like <clears throat> religious artwork style as well. I like that though. I think yeah. it's pretty no, cool. I, I think um, it's amazing. Yeah, but I think the emotional um, the images of Again, in terms of like the headspace that I was in at the time, it just very much resonated of seeing like grief, violence, you know, mm. pleasure. 
Um, it just felt almost never-ending. It felt, in some ways, even though it was very beautiful, it felt very... It felt not exactly hopeless, but it just felt like this is the end. Okay. If that makes sense. It does. I would describe it as it feels apocalyptic. Yeah, that's the. I think that's the word I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? That's the sort of luring aspect that it felt, whereby you're being pulled and there's no way you can't reason with it. You can't be like change your mind or you can't even no. grab anybody else. It's like if you're the chosen one, you're going up there, and yep. there's nothing you can do about it. And it's there's that element of having your choice taken away. Mm-hmm. Is can be very upsetting. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that sort of with the images and the music it kind of really conveyed that very well and it was just oh it was so intense and it was beautiful but just oh yeah painful at the same time yeah i love that i i mean i really can't explain it any better than that that's very much it i mean you've just got the rapture visuals it's very religious and actually the music for the rest of the show is is at a very different tone to this this is Mm. just very obliquely religious and it adds particularly with the imagery which again this very sort of like um it's it's very sistine chapel style artwork right it's very high religious um it adds a real weight to the show emotionally um a real and spiritually a real spiritual weight to the show which then actually the entire rest of the show spends its time kind of contrasting because it's all about the grief and mundanity and patheticness of dealing with this miraculous apocalyptic moment so i find actually interesting that the first episode doesn't have it because it has the actual departure as they call it it opens with what i think is generally the best two minutes of television ever made that opening sequence of people suddenly vanishing and just the what the hell moment of all of that which i just i found Mm. genius i don't know what you felt about that i mean to be honest if the the reason probably why they didn't put the main titles at the first episode is because it would pretty much would have told you what would happen yeah, and I think this substitutes for that Yeah. from then on. It adds the weight that that did the first time. Exactly. So maybe when the first episode, when you watched it, you were shocked, and then the second the second episode kind of gave you a bit of an idea of what actually could Reminder. have happened. Yeah. So I, I really love that. And, yeah, I mean, just the basics of it, of how it's, as you described, like, Max Richter is very much about adding more and more layers, adding more and more complexity on top. And in this case, it's all rising. Everything is everything is moving upwards, which obviously which goes perfectly with the visuals of everyone being pulled up. So just there's a real, I mean, it does it an incredible disservice to call it Mickey Mousing, but it actually does have that effect of it's going with it, and it just adds to that overwhelming feeling of this is happening this is inevitable and off we go yeah so i love it and i don't think there's anything else to say really shall we just move on to wayward pines yeah so here it is the wayward pines main titles theme
for me, like, I, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting production. I like the mix of the organic and electronic processing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a it's creepiness. quite glitchy and stuff. Yeah, um, the the creepiness cross between Twin Peaks and the X Files. The um, two things I've got written down here. No way. <laughs> How can you not, right? Like, it doesn't have the power of the Twin Peaks, that baseline. Yeah. But it has that same vibe and it definitely has that wafting X-Files kind of-esque theme, 100%. Go on. Absolutely, yeah. And so it has that sort of otherworldly. I find it's cool. I think it's a great sequence and the music works well, but it's a little bit... I mean, it sets the mood as well. Yep. However, for me, it's not memorable. No. It felt a little bit wishy-washy. I agree. And I think it actually it hurts itself by having such a strong, obvious connection to both Twin Peaks and X-Files because both of those are actually two of the most memorable theme tunes ever. Yeah. Right? Like they are so memorable. Even though I've, ne- I've not seen an episode of either of those for like 15 years, I can remember them. They're that strong. Um, and this one, it just doesn't have that level of hook. It's clearly referencing them, but it is living permanently in their shadow. Exactly. And I think that really does it no favours. Is this just like the quickest and easiest round ever? Are we just voting for the leftovers because it's an amazing <laughs> piece of music and Wayward Pines is forgettable? Yep. I think that's pretty much it, really. Could, right, have, well. could have not put it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that was easy. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do tell us, the listeners, like if you have anything else to add um, in the comments or you can message us if you have something more that you'd want to actually contribute than what we have said, if you think otherwise or you, or you, yeah. know, you agree with us. I'd love to hear you, yeah. what you say. <laughs> All right, let's, let's move on because actually at the end of the day, I don't think the main themes of either of these TV shows are where the, 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 the action is at. So let's get on to the good stuff. Let's go on to round two, Loss. Let's start off with The Leftovers and the very first piece of music you hear during The Leftovers, which is The Departure. So I would describe this personally as the main theme of the series. This is like you get it right at the beginning, as I just said, and it keeps coming back at those critical moments when you see bodies, where you just have people going through some stuff. I see this very much as a musical distillation of 
grief. Mm. It's just, I can't think of it any other way. I love the, the way that it always arrives. It, it starts with that murmuring piano, which just has this like nervous energy to it, which is very similar to what we were describing a couple of um, episodes ago with the Philip Glass opening sound mm. used in Carol. But here he manages to associate it because of that first scene, because of where it's brought out, it gets associated with this just like it's coming, like the the feelings about what has happened are, are, are coming, they're beginning to well up, which is so like true to life of what it's like when you're trying to process a trauma. Mm. Like it's just, uh, and you just, you feel it coming and you, you, the butterflies and the tangle and the difficulty of it. And then... The piano comes in and it's sad. It's got it's, but it's got this gentle like inevitability to it, and it's just so persistent. Mm. And it's cyclical, like everything that Max Richter does, and it never resolves. It just keeps opening more and more questions. And the longer you stay in this piece, and sometimes it goes for minutes, and sometimes it goes very quickly, but the longer it stays, and it doesn't resolve anymore. It just keeps adding more and more stuff to deal with, and it's just it's just a mess. And I will mention just off the top, it's very closely related to another Max Richter piece from like an album that he'd done before called November. Okay. To the point that the two pieces are kind like it's it's sort of an adaptation of some of the material in November, but with a new theme added on top, and then sometimes they sort of mix in a bit of both because it can that piano murmuring piano can go into November or it can go into the departure equally because they're from the same bass. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so like there are scenes, for example, in the last episode of the season where um the they've attacked the guilty remnant starts out as the departure then goes into another piece called the blessing which is also the departure but with a slight twist and then it goes into november like it just it can just weave its way through these various max richter tracks and it's wow yeah you it's totally true i agree that it's it's pretty much the main thing but i love how it's actually played differently in every episode for different characters uh, for to kind of highlight their pivotal emotional state um (laughs) When I hear it, loneliness is what I feel. Okay, yeah. Like at the beginning, the piano line really represents that. I think in... Because it's so stark, you think? Because it's like the isolated, sati-type notes, is that...? Yeah, and one thing that kind of made me think about, wow, it's been a really long time since I've listened to, like, organic instrumentation, sort of conventional music and TV show, that raw. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because I think maybe lately we, there's been a lot of, um, we've been really saturated with ambient, atmospheric type mm-hmm. filler music. So oh, to oh you're of... coming around to me and my love of organic instruments, Ella. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so touched. <laughs> well, I think it just, in because this works. Yeah, it does. It stands out for the right reasons. It highlights all the sort of cues. It kind of goes off on its own. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't hit the sort of cues of, like, the edit cues, I mean. But it yeah. does its own thing. And it travels. You travel emotionally with it. Yeah, and it's just, I think, yeah, you pretty much summarize it very well. I liked it. Um, yeah. It takes you back there. Like, it Yeah. It pulls you back in. And you feel that the character is being pulled back in. Um, yeah. I just think like something about the choice of the instrumentation just really works. Mm-hmm. 
because um, if you try to kind of add any more layers to it or more in more different instruments to make it more orchestral I think it would not pantomime it but it would just kind of take away the essence of as you meant like grief the yeah. essence of sometimes you know you are just alone in your own feelings yeah that's a good point actually it's refusal to add anything add any more warmth add any more texture add any details it keeps you lost in that uncomfortable space mm. it reminds me in a way of i know it's not your favorite film but the way they use the ligeti musica recitata in eyes wide shut of that cold jabbing mm. piano yeah it's that same sort of sense of like i'm gonna stay in this sound and you just have to deal with it because you are having to feel uncomfortable now and you don't get a choice yeah <laughs> like it has that touch to it even though this is obviously a far more beautiful philip glass type thing like this is the crazy thing is that it this is most close to uh philip glass's opening moonlight sonata light of the seven like that's those are the most comparable pieces of music to this but they are all beautiful and comforting but this manages to stay extremely uncomfortable and lonely and grief stricken absolutely which is quite genius yeah you couldn't describe it any further than that actually <laughs> Um, and the the one thing I'll just sort of say before we move on to Wayward Pines is that this is very much um, sort of two things we've kind of flagged here are very much uh, interesting about having brought Max Richter in for this because Max Richter had never worked on a TV show before, but they knew that a lot of his existing music was going to work, which is where like the November thing becomes interesting. And a lot of what he did really was he found about three or four different musical sounds that were going to work for the different parts of the show and he did exactly what you said like he just took them and he twisted them ever so slightly to match different characters at different times he didn't try and do huge light motif everyone gets their own theme or stuff like that he just kind of did it the way that our show works which is kind of really good mm. of like yeah this is the lost departure thought process coming and Nora will feel it differently from Garrity what's his name the police chief yeah I think that's his name or Frank or whatever his yeah name. I don't know. um but yeah they'll all feel it a bit differently um but as you exactly highlighted it is this but they feel the same thing but in their own way yeah exactly which is perfect as a way of using music to describe how emotion really works in the real world which we talk about quite a lot of that's what music is great at because it feels like emotion really feels it's so aware and i think it's also quite smart and important to do it that way to kind of highlight that everybody has a different perspective to experiencing grief yep. loneliness and emotion the same way how like now that we're going through <clears throat> when there's some like i read somewhere that oh people people should understand that when you say that we're in the same boat we're not really in the same boat because everybody's situation living situation or like mm. emotional situation is completely different we are experiencing the same pandemic <clears throat> yep. but in terms of what we're going through in our own homes is completely different yes. and i think this is very similar that and it's very important to kind of acknowledge musically, I think. And I, yeah, 100%. Do you think it, 
it helped you process the fact that like your experience, because you're on your own in a single room apartment, that your experience was different from other people. Did it help you appreciate that difference, do you think? When I heard it, yeah. I mean, like, it stood out for sure. Like, even at the last episode when Nora sees her family and mm. it's just silence. I mean, it's like, it's silence in the sense that you don't hear her scream and react. You, what, oh, you yeah. see her react. But the music just kind of just covers that emotion on top. And you're just thinking, yeah. Yeah, that's a scene, that one. You Oof. know? Yeah. In comparison to, like, the first episode that it gets played, you know, it's that sort mm. of gradual growth. And I think that's what the music for this TV show it kind of feels like. There's an element of growth. Yeah, and progress. Yeah. Mm. Whether it's up and down or whether it's positive or negative, that's, like, it's that's not relevant. Yeah. The fact that there's a growth, that there's changes to it. Because yeah, our minds... it grows with the characters and with the narrative, uh, yeah, and the conflicts, yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, so shall we move on to Wayward Pines? Yes, speaking of um, getting towards the end, so in case of Wayward Pines, because it actually doesn't deal with loss that much, not musically through mm. the show. It deals with a lot of other things. Um, so we've actually had to go to a track from episode 10 um, of Wayward Pines called Episode 10, Farewell. with this okay (laughs) um i know the round is called loss so for me it kind of starts off a little bit too hopeful okay so it makes me feel distance rather than loss okay it's not emotive enough for me it feels a little bit too reflective Mm. which again some people might argue well that's an element of loss you know when you're reflecting upon things that you once had or once or want you know Mm. Mm -hmm. but it just it didn't have that impact Uh, it was it was okay okay you so that's really interesting actually that you say that because i mean i mean we've done the spoiler alert but like this is the farewell to the main character of of this of the show i mean of season one in particular, and there is a second season of it, but this show was only ever really meant to be one season. Mm. So it's, it is. It's a genuine farewell, and it's interesting that it doesn't hit there for you because this is so classic. 
It's funereal piano. It's got all of your standard sad music tropes. It's slow, it's in a minor key. You've got the long reverb on the piano. You've got the strings. Like this is all like, this is sad music um, stuff. But you're right, it doesn't land as well as you'd think it should. And it's also interesting because it's, everything about it is right, because it's also really different from the rest of the score. Like, we haven't listened to so much of Wayward Pines yet on the episode, but everything else in the score, it has that glitchiness, it has that uncanniness, it has that electronicness, it has that weird little mix of the electronic with the organic to make everything just feel like it's not quite what it seems, right? Mm. Um, which is obviously a sound that you and I are very familiar with. It's the way that we ourselves right? But it's been doing that all the way along. But this time, this pretty much only time, it just goes very traditional and it tries to just be like, no, this is different. This is just actually he's sad and he's about to sacrifice his life for all of these people. Um, it's a very genuine loss moment. I think what ruined it for me in the show is that when the kid, when the son gets hit by the head by whatever the, the thing oh, that Oh, the fought, rock thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that really took me out of it. I actually started laughing. It is a bit bathosy, isn't it? Yeah. It was just, just like, where did that come from? Was that even needed? Like, because obviously you see him watching his dad like uh, sacrifice mm. himself, and uh, the lift is plummeted down, and then it explodes, and then you have his moment of mm. accepting it, and then he gets hit by a head by a rock from above, yeah. and I'm just like, what the f? Why? Yeah. Why would you add it? Why would you ruin his moment? It was just very unnecessary. It just did not make any sense. And I think that kind of watching it and listening to it just didn't, yeah. land, as you say, didn't land for me. Completely different experience when listening to it on its own, but that's my whole that's different experience. To it on its own. Yeah. yeah, on its own as a whole album. Um, but yeah. There are moments like that in Wayward Pines where I love it as a series as a series to watch again. I mean, I've had that experience and I enjoyed watching Wayward Pines again more than Leftovers because Leftovers is not a, is a difficult watch, as we've said. <laughs> but there are definitely those moments where it's just not as emotionally aware of itself and of, of what it's creating and where it does just subvert its own moments in some uncomfortable ways. And it's bad at this gentle stuff. It's good at the tension stuff earlier on with Terence Howard and... And stuff like that. It's, it, it builds up moments quite well and suspense, but yeah, it's just not quite as skilled at this at this end. Are we look? Are we where we were before? Of Max Richter's a genius, and where we <laughs> pines just didn't get there. Um. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm leading you, but like. <laughs> no, no, no. I you're totally <laughs> but, not but leading me. But you gave me. me like a five word description of this piece, which kind of tells me it didn't work for you. <laughs> no, it didn't really. I mean, yeah, it was just. just Meh, that's all I can say. It was okay. I think that the thing is, there are other better tracks in there that I would fight for. But I think in this round, in comparison, no. Makes sense to me. All right, so that is a win for The Leftovers. Let's move on to round three. This will be interesting. Mystery. So for The Leftovers, we are listening to a track called De Profundis, which is used extensively around scenes related to Wayne.
Now I'm going the opposite. As I did with Wayward Pines, I'm going to do the same for this one. I'm going to keep it short. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's very transcendent and quite okay. pensive. Yes. Um, it's quite strange, I think, in comparison to the other um, music in the it's show. It's probably the most unique piece in the show, isn't it? Yeah, which in some ways is probably meant to be quite deliberate to represent Wayne's sort of uniqueness. Yep. Because him as a character, we have no idea who he is. So in terms of yep. trying to highlight the mystery of who this person is, like mm-hmm. the mystery of the unknown, and you never get that confirmation because he dies at the end as well. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, I mean, what I've written down is like the music is obviously it's meant to be... Um, Influenced by Arvo Parts minimalism. Obviously, there's Philip Glass. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I actually hadn't thought of that. But yeah, you're completely right. I guess for me, there is an element of there's a weird sort of spiritual awakening, letting go of the pain sort of vibe to it. Mm -hmm. It's very new age religion ritualistic kind of a vibe, isn't it? Yeah, and for some reason, I don't know why I've written, but um. Initially, when I heard it, I thought it was a flute that was playing the main sort of um, repetition melody. <laughs> I'm assuming it's the organ. It is an organ, but to be fair, I'm pretty sure that's using the what they call the flute stops. Mm. So, like, the you know how the different stops, which are all of those buttons next to an organist when they're playing, yeah. they all have names, and a couple of them are flutes, and I'm pretty sure it is actually the flute stops because it is flute-like. So you're not wrong to be thinking that way. Hearing it, it made me think of myths. Like mythology for some reason. I don't know why. There was just something quite, I don't know. It was just very distant and very yeah. ancient, I guess. Well, yeah, that's all I can say about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to add. I mean, it, yeah, it ties very closely to Wayne. It is the most, it, it is such a leitmotif, this one. Like every time something about Wayne happens, this comes in and because of that organ, which is so different from the sounds of every other piece in the um, show, it's really obvious when it comes in. Um, and the organ, obviously, church organs, very religious, but it's done in this sort of very modern way, which, as I said, kind of very new agey. It's got this very airy, soothing kind of quality to it, mm. which just it goes so well with his like, Let's have a hug, mysticism. <laughs> his persona, basically. Yeah, his persona, and there's a there's a creepiness to it, and a mm. discomfort, but it's also like a gentle massage parlor kind of a sound. Like it's in this yes, really awkward exactly. place. <laughs> I'm gonna massage you into submission. You don't know what it is. Yeah, uh, and, and it is ritualistic because it, it has that even beat and pace to it. Um, yeah, it's a representation of the beyond. It's a representation of this, like, this scenario is so bad that we need to invent some new mysticism in order to be able to handle it, in order to be able to find a release. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, and it feels simultaneously, as you say, like this, like, deep ancient mysterious ritual but it also feels like this really shallow new age fake ritual that's just trying to pretend to be old there's an uncanniness to how religious it feels Mm, particularly mm. after the opening sequence which felt very more traditional traditional yeah so there's a contrast it's really really interesting 
I like that you pointed that out because I didn't actually think of it in that way. That it's kind of like it's going, it's almost like talking about the old versus the new. Hmm. So yeah, that's it. They could have used it in American Gods almost. Like this track would have been interesting in American Gods, straight like just straight transplant. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. For the new gods kind of thing. Yeah, very, very well put. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't think we've got anything else. So let's move on to Wayward Pines. Mystery is something that Wayward Pines invests in quite a lot. And the track we're listening to is called Episode 1, Suite 2, Part 2, Leave Hospital, Steal Car, which is from Episode 1 when he leaves the hospital at the beginning <laughs> and right towards the end of the show, yeah, you guessed it playing at home when he steals a car. <laughs> it's You can't get any more, like, on point than that. Yeah. <laughs> <And> here it is. <laughs> I'll lead off on this one. Look, uh, it is ominous. It is echoey. It is creepy AF. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that it is classical suspense and horror writing. This is like the mode that this soundtrack is in most episodes, right? It's very uncanny. Nothing is ever quite as it seems. You've got this awkward mix of real instruments electronic instruments it's not saying that electronic instruments aren't real but you know what i mean mm. organic you used earlier where like they're kind of they're in time with each other but they're not like they're not mixed quite uh right as it were in that they jar against each other to get that very disorienting kind of a level and then it's always ready to jump into like a moderate action cue to build up like actual action tension as he steals a car and I liked, the, the last thing I'll say is I really liked the escalation in the steel car part of this track, which is kind of the second half, where it goes from that creepy weird to being, as it goes into the more action elements, being actively dangerous. And mm. I really like the way that this soundtrack always feels like it can go actively dangerous at any moment. That That is the kind of 
overarching dread of Wayward Pines of everyone is walking around and being civil to each other and everything works, but all it takes is one phone call or one weird conversation and all of a sudden it's all over and the civility is is gone. It just, the entire world feels so fragile. And I think the this and other tension music in the show captures that sense of always being on the brink of disaster but you can't relax basically you're yeah, on edge no constantly point. yeah no it's very well put thank you we're being very nice to each other <laughs> <laughs> i think we have to be very nice to each other yeah, like, I, right? I, think that's fair, so. I would rather be nice um <laughs> we have to take care of each other right now yes um yes. but yeah for me, it just reminds me of game music. Okay. It, yeah, rem- it kind of it kind of has that sort of flow. It kind of flows endlessly and blends and morphs. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's what you were kind of talking about earlier, how they kind of like overlap each other and just kind of create this sort of dissonance. Yeah, and that all always ready to jump into like a combat queue kind of yeah. thing. Like that, that sense of it's always there. Yeah, I, that's actually a really good point. I hadn't thought of that that way, but... 100% yeah yeah I mean it, it's it carries the episode well but for me it just feels like filler music mm. if to be truly I much prefer the music for um kill Beverly I think it's in okay. the second yep. episode yeah that was really like even though it's not necessarily myst- mystery shall we play a bit of that now mm, please here we go I think for me it's a great piece of music. There's the, that that aggression and those subtle textures, and it's just um, yeah. So, but in terms of this round, what are the criteria for the mystery round? What we exactly are kind of like voting for? I would say, what do you think helps establish the mystery more? What creates that sense of mystery? What piques your curiosity more of? What's going on here? What do I need to know? that kind of thing and it's also the suspense round so you can also be like well which which of these tracks puts us more in suspense i'm gonna probably kick myself over this but i feel that for this round i want to go for wayward pines Mm -hmm. because it's because it's very it's quite conventional mystery music and it does kind of it's because it's the first episode and it really kind of sets the mood yeah. And it really reminded... And you're invested in the mystery at this point. Yeah. Like, you really are. It, it has sold itself so well at this point. Exactly. So, I think... And because, like, I was very much interested for the first five episodes, and uh, as we said... <laughs> <laughs> Whereas with um, The Leftovers, as a piece of music I enjoyed, but when I first heard it in the show, it stuck out for me yep. for the wrong reasons. It, I kind of found it, found it a little bit annoying, if to be truly honest. Okay. I didn't find it. It didn't exude mystery. It, it exude curiosity. Okay. I was curious more so than I found it mysterious. Yeah. 
So that's why for me, for this round, I would go for Wayward Pines. I hear you, and I actually agree, believe oh, no. it or not. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> yay, we agree. Mystery is so important to Wayward Pines, and it is very, very good mystery writing, and it does keep you on edge, and it carries through, and as you say, it's not just that one track but the others, which is cheating, but it's also true. No, I'm very happy to go with Wayward Pines, which means round three goes to Wayward Pines. So, shall we move on to round four, release? So, the track we are listening to from uh, The Leftovers is a track called Danubis Pachem, of which there are three versions on on the soundtrack, but for now we're going to play Danubis Pachem 1. So what did you think? So this is my favorite piece of music from The Leftovers. Not so much for it in the show itself, although it has some very great moments in the show. So I think it plays three times, probably why there's one, two, and three, right? Mm. It plays in the first episode when Meg asks, who's Liv Tyler, asks to stay with the Guilty Remnant. It plays in episode two where... The police chief is fixing the toaster and then Megan attacks a a tree with an axe. And then it is in episode seven when the police chief and Nora have sex. And all of those are pretty profound, crazy moments. But it's just hauntingly beautiful. I, I see it as if the departure was 
for me, distilled grief, and I also get loneliness. Mm -hmm. This one for mine is acceptance. It's got this beautiful sort of meditative quality from the bell-like percussion, which gives it a sort of ritual quality as well. And then those lovely sort of even string arpeggios come through, and then the cello comes in with this really sort of emotive, yearning, climbing sort of a line that's like it's striving to get something and it just it can't it just you really kind of feel its attempt to break through it's and like find it's it. reached a ceiling and just yeah and then it you ha- you get this moment right towards the end where it realizes it's never going to get there and it just falls back and just has to accept this much less exciting conclusion. Like you feel like it's it's trying to rise to this transcendental moment of suddenly, oh yes, that now it's it's all gonna make sense. I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna realize it. And then it's like, no, there is nothing to realize. That's just what life is now. There is no grand answer to this universe. It's just shit. And I, I personally feel that the track it comes through like a like an emotional freight train, like through the score and through the album when you listen to it separately it's just uh yeah i find it really powerful and affecting mm. uh, and I, I should mention that the name denomus pacem means grant us peace which is what all of the characters in the show are striving for and i i think this very much is that this is all about the trauma has happened people desperately want peace with it but the peace isn't the great movie ending moment the huge you know shakespearean catharsis it's the uh it is just what it is two percent of the world's population vanished one day and we don't get to know Hmm. yes yeah no i mean i can't say anything more i can't articulate it any further than that apart from all i have in my notes is like the music is very raw yeah (laughs) and it is like mixing wise as well as everything else it is and that's one thing about the organicness of these of this score in general that you describe Mm. of it's very modern london kind of a sound of the really very closely mic'd strings so you feel the scratch and the raw here the scratch and the rawness of everything and it just feels like a raw nerve all the time this this whole show is like a raw nerve it's like somebody putting ice on a raw nerve Absolutely. I mean, for me, the only moment where I didn't feel it as much is actually the sex scene. I didn't feel that impact. The other, the the one where I did feel the most impact was when Meg was cutting down the tree or just hitting the tree. I just felt like it really translated well her emotional state of what she, and it's it's great how you mentioned how like i never actually thought about it because in my mind i felt like it was constantly rising but now you mention it how like it's it reaches that ceiling and then there's no way else for it to go so now it has to go back down and i'm just thinking yeah. about that scene now then there is an element whereby like she's hitting it and like it's it's not getting any deeper it, it's not getting any better and she's not getting through 
Yeah. It's not like at the end of it, like she cuts down the tree. It's kind of like, no. no, it's just her. It's just this continuous force. She's just trying to kind of let it out. And she, she can sort of fight it as long as she wants. She can just keep wailing on that tree, but the tree don't care. And it's not going to ever make anything better. And yeah. It's, there is a beauty of it, because the piece is beautiful. Like, it is oh, it's an, like an objectively lovely piece of music that's being put over pure rage, mm. like pure aggressive rage. Like, she's hacking a tree with a piece of metal. And the dissonance of that, of her just trying to find this emotional safety space or the emotional realisation or just achieve something by killing a tree, you know? like Yeah. But it's never going to happen. And even if it did happen, it wouldn't work. No, it's so true. And it's weird because normally you find in other shows or film sequences where, like, you have that moment of you break, you break free. Mm. And you have a spiritual, personal growth moment yeah. to elevate yourself to the next level, to become different. Mm-hmm. I mean, she does become different slightly in the coming episodes, however, but it was just that... It but she w- wanted to have to happen then, and it was not going to happen then. No, and that was no. the moment, yeah. It, it almost felt like a trope where you think that this is going to be her, as I said, you know, this is going to be her moment of um, realisation and personal mm. growth, and then it never comes. And it's just kind of like, well, this is a joke then. Yeah. Yeah, it just you've pulls been, it out you've from been under You've been conned it. into thinking that you breaking this tree, you cutting down this street is going to get you that salvation moment, that peace. Yeah. Does that make sense? So yeah, it does. That's in that in that sense that it felt like she was being conned, mm-hmm. and we were kind of being conned as well because we were waiting for that. Yeah, you know, thinking like like this is going to be her release as well. But yeah, yeah, it's just oh, heavy shit. It's a phenomenal piece of work. Uh, so where would Pines have something to live up to? <laughs> <laughs> So moving on then to Wayward Pines. <laughs> so, um... Episode five, kids talk, etc. <laughs> and here it is.
Right, so for people playing at home, this is the episode, episode five of the 10 episodes of season one, which is the only season you should watch. Basically where the son, he goes to school and it turns out that part of the experience of going to school is that you get to have the entire world and the reality of the world explained to you with the basic gist being that, so all of these adults have been brought here, but adults can never understand what happened because it causes their minds to break and they all commit suicide and go crazy. So instead what has to happen is the adults are just there to have children and then the children grow up and they're called what's called the first generation and they get to have the reality explained to them because for them it's real. Their minds are malleable enough to be able to understand it and go on. So we sit through what's called an orientation. Oh, is that scene? Oh, God, for f***'s sake. (laughs) (laughs) We sit through the orientation as the entire world is explained, which I love because I love the fact that it just spills all of its secrets, puts them all out in the open, and it sets up. And as everybody knows, Ella hates. So (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about the music. I find it ominous and creepy. That's my that's my headline. I, it has that same glitchy opening that the title track of the show does. It ties that in. I like that it has these bell-like sounds. There's a lot of those in both these soundtracks, but it makes it very childlike. It gives it this sort of like school kind of a feel. And then as the episode goes on, the explanations of how the world really is and works because it's 4,000 years in the future is interspersed with Ethan the dad who's actually out in the outside world being hunted by the abbeys that are being revealed so the track keeps bouncing between the sort of very calm this is how it is very clinical explanation of what's going on and the suspense urgency action of Ethan having to run away from these creatures in the woods so again it's doing that whole suspense bouncing into action bouncing back it has even more elements in the main title. It has the same floating voice. It's, yeah, it's just, it's where everything in the show, musically, thematically, character-wise, plot-wise, it all gets brought together into one cohesive whole and sets up the rest of the show. And I think musically, it does that very, very well because it does, it ties everything together. You? No. <laughs> I get what you're saying, but no. All right then. So, no, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, sure, yeah. The music does that give you that release. I just didn't like the end result. Of what I got. You know, yeah. I mean, that's all I can say about it. I mean, I'll the just scene like... left you cold. Nothing about this scene, the reality, like the the reveal, the twist, the music, the execution. Clearly, none of it spoke to you, and I think that's kind of all there is to say sometimes. Yeah, uh, which is weird. It seems anti-musical, but like, I think it just is what it is. So, are we just two votes for the leftovers? So, legacy. This will be interesting, where we look at the life of the soundtrack outside the film as an album, potentially as an influence on other films and media. So as I hinted earlier, Max Richter is a very well-known concert composer before this show. He'd written a lot of albums, a lot of very current, modern sorts of stuff. He was doing works for ballets and all sorts of things, both uh, in Germany, where he's from, and here in London. And... 
uh, it was almost a little bit of a joke of the, one of his tracks called On the Nature of Daylight, which you may not have ever heard of at home, but here it is. This track was famously like everywhere. It's in so many ads, it's in so many movies, it's in so many trailers. This exact piece of music actually was in Arrival, the film Arrival, and it was in Arrival so much that it was deemed that Johan Johansson was ineligible to be nominated for the Oscar because this track was so prominent in that film. He has this sort of legacy and this place, but he had never been involved in TV before. So they've brought him in and they brought him in, as I mentioned earlier, because they kind of wanted to use his sound and his back catalogue and this very minimalist, modern, contemporary sound that he has, which is a huge kind of a step, right? Because he was operating at this very avant-garde end of the spectrum, which does not exist in TV at the time. TV at the time sounds more like Wayward Pines. It's more traditional, it's more American, whereas this is very modern European, very raw, very organic, very real. It's, it's, it's a very different sound. And so bringing him in and bringing that sound in and adapting them into a TV series, like that is a big thing. This is, to me, for television, it is almost as big as Bernard Herrmann bringing that modern European orchestral sound into cinema back in the 50s and 60s. You know, we spoke about that, about how America had been lost in the Romantic era for 50 years longer than the rest of the world, but Bernard Herrmann's like, no, no, we're, we're going kicking and screaming into the new world. Here you go you know, aleatoric dissonant strings. It's kind of what he's done now. And ever since The Leftovers, you've had a lot more use of like Olafur Arnolds and Johan Johansson and Hilda Gunnagottir and all of that arriving into television. I don't know if you would have heard the Chernobyl soundtrack had they not modernised at this point with Richter. That was a real step forward for television to embrace where concert music was at because concert music was Richter and Johansson in Berlin writing music like they were the people the vanguard of of the new sound Mm. so I think it is a very big event in 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 terms of that and I think as an album like it's really at the end of the day it becomes just another Max Richter album all of his albums are very similar to this it's very minimalist meditative I when I'm not doing composing work, but when I'm just doing writing emails and stuff like that, I tend to listen to Max Richter a lot because he's a very... Soothing. Yeah, it's sometimes soothing but also challenging mm. in, in a way that I like. Uh, and, yeah, so I, I do find it quite a good album to, to listen to, albeit when you start to listen to it at about 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, you can start to wind up in some pretty weird places because <laughs> it does tend to lead to you, as I say, asking some questions about the world, particularly... When the world is at an interesting place. So, yeah, that's what I think of Max Richter. Thoughts? No, I completely um, agree with everything you said. I mean, I find he he's a very unique composer in that he feels like the last postmodern composer that doesn't fall for the dollar, like, yeah. i.e. the Hollywood sort of um, lifestyle and sound. And he keeps his musical integrity whereby he experiments. Yeah, he could. He really could. When the, mm. 
the nature of daylight was as big as it was he could have gone into everything and he's done some films he's done some very good films he has i mean he basically from he but he's made he's mainly worked on independent european movies like there's one film called lore um that was uh made in 2012 beautifully tragic score amazing Mm -hmm. there's one track in it um I don't want to give the name away All right. <laughs> because that kind of gives away one of the things that happens in the movie. Um, but I, I won't say it, but I just want to express just how beautiful and it's just so the simplicity of it is just so raw. Okay. And oh my God, I just, I personally love, when I hit, listen to it, I, it makes me want to dance in a very sort of contemporary way and just to be expressing oh. myself through my body. Um, and it, wow. I, I've actually, it was very therapeutic. He's like a, he's like an alchemist in sound, and yeah. and whereby you know he experiments and he challenges music via different platforms, like not just through scores for like films, but through his installations. Yeah, and he did a seven-hour sleep. Uh, I know. Concert here, I was listening- which I so wish I'd gone to because it's it's here but I found about it too late. Like seven hours of music for you to sleep to overnight, like yeah. incredible. Yeah. I, I was listening to it last night. It's a beautiful album, Sleep. Well, I was asleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it did the trick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just... Um, but he remains quite humble still. Like, Definitely. he's a very well-rounded and he's quite like an under-the-microscope under type artist. Like, I found that his style and his way of music is very direct rather than complex yep. in some ways. Um I find that he tends to pick films that he can enrich. Yes. Like he, I feel like he really does choose these projects. Like he's really in charge and in control of what projects he wants to um, I think so. I think he's in. an artist first is sort of what you're saying. Like yeah. He's very much, I need to be artistically connected to this thing and not yeah. just, oh, I think I can make a buck out of this. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And from 2014 onwards, that's when he got more prominent of working with big studios and films mm. and stuff like Arrival, uh, not Arrival, but like Mary Queen of Scots he did. Yeah. But there were a few like big sort of studio films that are still independent, but the got big stars in them sort of thing well he, he sticks to his sound and his principles you never feel like he is going to just change himself for a project or or anything he's going to keep exploring his sound and keep doing amazing things with it and i think that's a very similar to philip glass um yeah. steve right i Reich. think they're they're yeah. in they're all in the same sort of building as i might yeah. call it um in the way that they the way they process and the way they take on projects you know they're kind of like i'm doing my own thing i am an as you said earlier i am an artist to express my to leave a legacy behind in as many mediums as possible that will serve yes. the objective and this the message you know yeah 
Shall we move on to, do you want to talk about Charlie Clouser and Wayward Pines? Charlie is the opposite <laughs> to Max. <laughs> Complete opposites. And he has his own strengths as well. Yep. No, he's different. But he's different, but he's strong in his own craft um, <laughs> that works for him. And I would say that he's more of a visual, he's definitely more of a visual composer. Um, I feel that he does focus more on like tempo like he's very controlled he's very he's, he has a very tight and controlled way of composing music mm-hmm. that's very rhythmic and very complex and very mathematical At how he described it once is like he likes to set the outline and then color it in so when he says that he likes to set the outline which is the tempo mapping um so that um he sets the pace for mm. each scene before he adds any audio and so for me, when hearing him talk about his music, it's all, all about programming. Right. So it's very electronic-based. So like I said, it's very um, methodical, I yep. guess. And more traditional film music style because he reacts to the scenes far more. Richter really seems to just create sweets and moods that people are then able to put in. Mm. Um, he doesn't really, I don't. I don't really get to feel at any point in Leftovers that Richter has really sat down and watched it and being like, okay, well, this track needs to shift 33 seconds in because the action starts and so it's going to go faster. I don't think he ever did that. I think he just wrote a bunch of different sounds and they plopped them in. But this is where it's kind of different, whereby the two different processes of composing, where one was basically like not focused on writing music for film. I mean, like he knew what the story was about, so he kind of emotionally and intuitively wrote the music, whereas Charlie would have wrote music by looking at it, mapping it, um, yep. setting the cues, um, changing the tempos to say, okay, so this is where it's going to get really intense and it's going to calm down a little bit here. So he was very like like a doctor, like precision. It mm-hmm. was all precise. Which I should say is what you and I do. Like he's writing far closer to the way that you and I operate. So yeah, we, we totally respect that as, a, as an approach. I think maybe I'm just getting bored of this sort of ambient sort of type music now i think it was just i found it quite refreshing having listened to max richter's music Mm. for the leftovers in a weird way it feels old-fashioned the wayward pines often like even even though in in many respects charlie's sound is quite avant-garde like he's all very horror suspense it's all you know dissonant and crazy but it's also the same stuff we've been hearing for 20 30 years so yeah i can i can get that whereas there is a real sense of the novel and the fresh with Max Richter, particularly then rather than the last six years where yeah. we've had, as I've said, a lot of it with the various Icelandics in particular. The one thing I want to say about Wayward Pines, which I really love as an album, is the structure of the actual album. The idea of having these suites by episode is phenomenal as a way of doing a TV series. To just be able to be like, oh, okay, well, what was that piece in episode two? Well, it's going to be in the track episode two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved that as a as a structure of anyone out there at home, any or at home, any any like producers working in TV studios. Please just do this all the time because this is amazing. It makes it a much better listening experience. So good, uh, so refreshing to do that after. Uh, TV in particular, because you've got like hundreds of cues across a series. So you've got to try and think, well, I guess this was kind of the sound for that, but it was different in the actual episode of Talk About. We have so much of that. Mm. 
Like, I much prefer listening to the soundtrack on its own as opposed to experiencing it with the TV show, sadly, because well, you missed it. Yeah. Kind of a lot of the time. And it's funny, it just got me thinking, like, imagine, I, like, how, the re- how the Leftover soundtrack was so refreshing because of its um, very minimalist and very organic yeah. sound. I I do think that if it was... If it was like a primarily like an electronic or ambient music, it would have been swallowed up completely and would have been useless to the context of the show. Um, I think the choice for the sound that they went for, I think the music really counterbalances and provides valuable glue to the scenes where, um, especially when there's no audio and it's just the visual. So I just feel like, I think Charlie's got better... I think his music has had more impact, has been much more well received and acknowledged. Mm. And I think it works better for like the Saw franchise that he's been working, that he's worked on. Yeah, and And that's influenced uh, subsequent films like the Paranormal Activity and Sinister and those films. Absolutely. Whereas maybe not the way with Pines won so much. No, I think he just kind of got lost in with all the other sort of TV shows that have come out around the sort of thriller genre, like yep. Mindhunter. Is it Mindhunter? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, it's, again, I'm sure it was very influenced by it. Hmm. But unfortunately, I don't remember Weirwood Pines. Fair enough. It just doesn't have that sort of legacy. What's the word? It just doesn't have that legacy. I think that's all you need. <laughs> it just doesn't have that legacy. In the same way, like all the other TV shows you can think of, like it doesn't have like Desperate Housewives, for instance. No, no, and I think a lot of that is that it is lost in the shadow of X Files and Twin Peaks. That mm. it's it's nodding to all of those, and that's great. But it never transcends like those those shows did. And here, it's up against a show which I think does transcend. Yeah, totally. So, winner? I actually almost wanted to give this to Wayward Pines because of how well the album is structured, and I really want to say that I want to do that so much that I'm going to ignore the fact that the music is so much worse and less influential. But that would be dishonest, so I'm going to go with Leftovers. (laughs) Radio. Yeah, I'm going to go with Leftovers. Woohoo! Yay! So, The Leftovers wins by four rounds to one. Well done. Well, well, well done, done, but at the same time, you made me cry so much. I was distraught. (sighs) You know that sorry, not sorry feeling? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Look, it's it's rough. And oh my God, yes, I don't wish anyone to have to watch these shows right now. I note that they're not very publicly available on any, on like, Amazon or Netflix or anything, no. So they're a little bit harder to get hold of, and probably good for uh, probably a good thing. Actually, those are probably smart pro- programming solutions. Yeah, probably uh, probably would ask questions about any like TV executive who was like, yeah, let's show the let's show the leftovers right now. I think that's really what people want, mm, <laughs> but what they mm, really that need will, right that now. That will lift the spirits. Yeah, that'll that'll keep them all chipper and ready to. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, oh. So yes. The, so ends a harrowing uh, few weeks for both of us, but amazing music, really quite landmark television. Both of them, I think. I'm sorry that you didn't appreciate Wayward Pines as much. As Who I knows? Said, maybe at a different time I it would have been better. But 
as I said, I enjoyed it up to episode four, Five, wherever they had yeah. the reveal of the f- whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone in this, okay? <laughs> no, you're not. You're 100% not. I just love it. Well, I'm very happy for you. <laughs> Uh, maybe people at home can write in about what they think about the music and maybe which which season they prefer. But don't watch them now. Just wait if you haven't seen them. Give yet. it six months. Maybe like a year. Maybe a <laughs> There's year. There's no yeah. rush. Yeah, yeah we can absolutely come back uh, next April and talk about what people felt about these shows. Mm. I, I'm all over board with that. And with, with that in mind, I mean, always feel free. Reach out to us on social media at uh, Tristella Music on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, wherever you need to go. Let us know what you think about this stuff because we, we love having that conversation and it's one of the best things you can do really is to have connect. a bit of fun. And look, what else are you doing right now other exactly. than social media? Talk to us, connect with us. We want to hear from you. Ella is lonely, guys. <laughs> Keep me company. Exactly. All right, so that ends. Can you believe it, Ella? That ends season two. <gasps> This is 24 episodes in Oh, my now. goodness. Oh, wow. Celebration. I know. We're all, like, growed up and stuff. Um, so, I mean, and all this is just distracting from the fact that actually we're not entirely sure what we're doing next month. But, you know, end of season two, so that's fair enough. Season three is a whole different beast. But what we're going to do is we're going to open up. We usually like to talk about our, you know, summer blockbusters over, over summer, as it were, if summer ever comes and we ever go outside and... Go to movies again, you know. But we're going to <laughs> anyway. <laughs> One day, there's hope. Isn't no it way. funny how you get these like little negative trailing thoughts these days, and you just go, and you just sort of catch yourself. You're like, oh yeah, I'm walking to the darkness. Oh no, no, it's all fine. No. Um, <laughs> we are going to be doing a DC versus Marvel episode. I think everybody knows what that's going to mean. Um, uh, please reach out. We'll maybe do some polls. Just look at our social media. We'll, we'll, we'll be out there. We'll be canvassing opinions. Uh, I think DC and Marvel movies are going to be a far better watch for both of us. So that should be fun. Mm. And But otherwise, just stay tuned and find out what we talk about next month when we talk about, like, lighthearted superhero movies rather than the end of the f-ing world. Yep. Stay uh, safe. Stay, stay sane. Safe. Stay sane, look after yourselves, look after everybody around you. Maybe reach out to us, but also, more importantly, reach out to your friends and family because I think we've learned that everybody's beginning to, if not having already, cracked Mm. um, about this. And everybody just needs a little bit of extra time and attention. So until next month, watch some happy movies and we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye.